For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some access deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I venison.com and use promo code cal for 20 percent off your first order oh, 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 O'Reilly. are your wiper blades chattering skipping or squeaking don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility when it's time to replace your wiper blades stop by o'reilly auto parts and see our selection our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait stop by o'reilly auto parts today oh 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts From Meat Eaters World News Headquarters in Bozeman, Montana This is Cal's Week in Review with Ryan Cal Callahan Now, here's Cal Australian real estate agents might be kicking themselves this week for overlooking a skyscraper taller than the Empire State Building that was just discovered in their backyard. Though, to be fair, this particular skyscraper is a little harder to see than most, given that it's completely underwater. In fact, it's a detached part of Australia's famous Great Barrier Reef, the largest coral reef in the world. Which, if you don't know the Great Barrier Reef, then you obviously don't know Kurt Russell in Captain Ron. And according to Captain Ron, the Great Barrier Reef is a great big son of a gun that runs the whole coast. The uh, captain is speaking of Australia, by the way. Wait, the Great Barrier Reef? You heard of it, huh? Smart lady. Although scientists have long known about several freestanding parts of the Great Barrier Reef, This is the first new part of that great big reef to be found in more than 120 years, and it is enormous. The funnel-shaped tower is almost a mile wide at its base, then rises 500 meters until its pinnacle sits just 40 meters below the ocean's surface. This tower wasn't made with cranes swinging I-beams around, this tower grew. The coral built up incredibly gradually over millions of years as the Earth's tectonic plates moved. The ocean floor kept gradually dropping, and little by little the coral kept growing so that it could keep the algae that provides it with oxygen close enough to the sun to maintain photosynthesis. Last we checked, these algae were not wearing hard hats. But with the diversity of species that live on the reef, you can never be completely sure. We are sure, however, that this is where our high-rise construction metaphor will end. You're welcome. 
If you're having a hard time imagining this mile-wide-at-the-base natural tower that grew itself to 500 meters or 1,640 feet just to be near the sun, it's not that different than the sequoia or climbing vine that grows up to the same goal of monopolizing sunlight. Or in human terms, it'd be similar to some of those folks I was just visiting in Louisiana who rebuild their homes on higher and higher pilings after every storm surge. So how could something so huge go unnoticed for so long, you may ask? Well, the normal ways, I suppose. Maybe the tower was a bit of an introvert, a late bloomer. When it's time to change, then it's time to change. The reality is we actually know way less about the deep ocean than you might think. As you go deeper into the water, things get less and less welcoming. Pressure gets high enough to crush regular submarines. At the base of this new coral tower, a human would feel about 775 pounds per square inch of pressure. A grizzly bear has a bite force of a little over 1,000 psi. Temperatures get freezing cold, and the light from the sun is completely cut off. Humans are just inventing the technology to overcome those factors and so we're still guessing about most of what happens down there. We have better maps of the moon and Mars than we do of our own ocean floor. But, using sonar technology, this team of scientists off the coast of Australia is making a much more detailed map of the ocean in and around the Great Barrier Reef. Their research ship, the Falcor, sends out powerful sound waves, then measures the echoes that come back from the structures on the ocean floor. Using that information, they can draw maps, and in this case, notice this enormous reef that's been right under everyone's nose. Finding an entirely new reef structure is incredibly cool and thrilling, but what's even better news is, it looks like life is thriving all over this tower. The Great Barrier Reef has taken a beating from climate change, pollution, overfishing, bleaching, periodic blooms of crown of thorns starfish which actually eat the coral. And yes, even, I am sure, plenty of real-life characters like Captain Ron. But life on this newly discovered tower seems to be healthy, and scientists are now busy studying the sharks, shellfish, turtles, and thousands of other species who live there. The deepest spot in the ocean, the Marianas Trench, has been measured at 35,798 feet below the surface of the ocean. We know it exists, but it is a place we as humans, quite factually, may never ever see. The top of this new coral tower extension sits only 40 meters below the waves, and was, until now, just as unknown as the deepest, coldest, darkest place on our planet. Which is kind of exciting, right? Lots to be discovered out there, kids. This week... We've got rodent dentistry, fish in a barrel, and cuddly sharks. But first, I'm going to tell you about my week. And my week, as well as the Cal's Week in Review podcast, as everyone knows, is sponsored by Steel Power Equipment, the maker of the finest chainsaws, be they battery-operated or gas. And what's more, as we creep into the holidays, which typically I wouldn't be thinking about, But, you know, anything after this election cycle is more enticing than living in the now. So be thinking of those little indispensable steel pruning shears. Perfect for fish collar and game bird leg removal. They fit perfectly in a stocking. Honestly, even for the not-so-adventurous person in your life, 
a set of steel shears is a highly versatile four-season type of gift. You can trim branches in the yard, cut shooting lanes in the stand, make that duck blind look sharp, and keep them in the kitchen, just as I do for the rest of the season. It's a lot of bang for your buck. Anyway, this week, my uh, lovely lady friend and I went out to try to get her antelope. She drew a tag, her very first one. We went and looked around pre-season. Things looked promising. Not a ton of public land, but a lot of block management areas, which is Montana's version of private land with a state-funded public access component. This is a really great program. Landowners get paid for hunter days. The landowner works with the biologist to outline the specific rules for the property, like what species can be hunted, how many hunters per day, where hunters can drive, or if they should only walk on the property. The block management program, when treated properly, is a win-win. Ranchers and farmers are able to reduce the amount of crop and feed damage caused by wildlife and get some compensation on top of that. It's a precarious situation, though, as it depends on people to behave like good neighbors. It is up to all hunters to police each other to make sure this program continues. In this particular antelope unit, the BMA program is the bulk of the hunting opportunity. Meaning, if it went away because some bad actors drove through fields or tore up muddy roads, that tag, for most people, would be more of a symbolic antelope tag as opposed to an opportunity to take an antelope. Anyway, I was fortunate enough to follow along as two antelope, a doe and her near-adult-sized fawn, fed toward a draw on a field. My friend Sam managed to get within 61 yards. She made a great shot, and the doe went down. Now, what happened next, as I have seen many times in my guiding career, the boyfriend-girlfriend or husband-wife dynamic is not always the dynamic in which information freely flows back and forth. How could you not tell me you were an assassin? How could you not tell me? I told you 20 times. You never listen. Uh, our relationship, surprisingly or not, is no different. So Sam took along the how-to-gut-a-deer bandana from the meat-eater store and paid more attention to it than me for instructions. And it all worked out well. Can't find better meat in the freezer, I'll tell you that much. Now, a butchering note, as we butchered the uh, antelope last night, a number of listeners wrote in to tell me about lopping shears as a standard butchering tool. I use the steel loppers on this antelope, and I gotta tell you, I cut bone-in roast, nice even rib racks, and I won't look back. That tool is gonna be with me on every butchering job. Way better than a saw. So thank you for all those folks who hit me to that. Moving on to the Snort Report. We got our first limit of sharp tails together. Snort was making me a little frustrated because she was not finishing her retrieves, as in not bringing the bird to hand because she wanted to go find more birds. I told her that's how pointers behave, not retrievers. Side note, a plucked roasted sharp tail grouse is really fantastic table fare. Moving on, quick stop at the mail desk. Tyler Stoltz, you have a real long-winded buddy named Rob Kensinger. Rob says you have helped him out a ton and are a fine representative of both our armed forces and of a true conservationist. So first, 
thank you on behalf of all of us, both for spreading the conservation ethos and for your service. And thank you to Rob as well. The second part of this was the question, what to get the outdoors person that has everything? Focus on the small stuff. Fire starters, sharpeners, water purification drops. I like aquamira. Down booties. Elk and turkey diaphragms. External reed calls are all excellent gifts for the outdoors person in your life who has it all. There's nothing better than stumbling onto a good sounding call, especially if it's one you've never considered. Thanks for writing in and good luck this season. Next up, just a general address. I've gotten several emails, messages, etc. asking for more economical outdoor clothing suggestions. Hunting specific and outdoor branded stuff is expensive. Uh, Army surplus stores, how I first clothed myself, are even expensive these days. But see if you can't find some Army surplus pants and hit the thrift shops for anything wool. My grandma used to work at the St. Vincent de Paul thrift store and she would collect wool sweaters, lamb's wool, v-neck sweaters, anything, for 50 to 75 cents a piece. And I hunted and guided in that stuff, which was never meant to be outdoor clothing, for a long time. If you truly have the desire to go, you'll figure out how to make it happen. Just be safe when you do. Realize the limitations of what you have. Those inclement weather days, when you'll get soaked to the bone, stay in the tent, or the lean-to, rip a big fire, and enjoy the lack of cell service. By spending time outside, you'll develop a much better sense of what you need to acquire or upgrade to to eventually spend even more time in the woods. But don't let a lack of what you perceive as necessary stuff to keep you from going outside. Don't wait on the perfect tent or the perfect pair of boots or scope. You gotta get out there. There's no substitute for time in the woods. Moving on to the otter desk. Otters, the ocean's master of deception. Sure, we've seen them all looking cuddly and holding hands, maybe floating in a bathtub, juggling, befriending baby tigers and cuddling in open water. In fact, if I can uh, hold on a second, I'm going to search cute otters on YouTube right now. Ah, look at that little guy playing with a beach ball. Darn it, they got me. They always do. But don't be fooled, folks. Otters are killers. Like a tiny little Jaws. Recently, the shores of Simonstown, False Bay in South Africa, have seen resident otters killing sharks to eat their very nutritious livers, hearts, and male reproductive organs before discarding the rest of the carcass. That's not the type of otter behavior that's going to make a motivational poster in your kid's classroom, now is it? <laughs> Local rangers were puzzled over the last few months when the partially gutted remains of shy sharks continued to show up on beaches, until they eventually spotted the slippery, fur-bearing predators doing the deed. According to local Falls Bay marine biologist Allison Koch, most people think of sharks only as predators, but they are often prey to a variety of other animals. Most sharks are not apex predators, but what we call meso or middle predators. It's only the largest sharks, like great whites, tigers, and bulls, which we consider apex or top order predators. And even these are prey for killer whales. In False Bay and the surrounding regions, there have been several cases of great white shark carcasses being found with their livers missing. 
killer whales are believed to be responsible. These Cape clawless otters, the second largest freshwater species of otter, weighing in on average between 12 and 50 pounds, with a few recorded up towards 80 pounds and 5 feet in length, aren't quite big enough to take down jaws, but the abundant shy sharks, or haploblepharis, are an easier target. The name shy shark comes from a distinctive defensive behavior in which the shark curls into a circle and covers its eyes with its tail. Who wins the cute award in this predator-prey relationship now? The reality, in this case and all others involving the mustelid family, is otters are voracious predators. They use extremely sensitive whiskers as sensors in the water to pick up the movements of potential prey, like frogs, crabs, and when they're feeling more confident, these sharks. Here's one more way to think about it. If otters were bad at hunting, would there be so many videos of them just playing online? No. Animals with free time earn it by being efficient predators. The natural predators of the otters, aside from humans, of course, are pythons, fish eagles, and crocodiles. But I'd watch out if I were them. That little juggling beach ball trick you find otters doing on YouTube might lure you in. But remember, by the time you realize he's actually juggling a bloody shark heart, it's going to be too late. For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam motor treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who has used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. I guarantee you've listened to them because I use it you know, regularly. People everywhere rely on seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver, off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid, and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And, as often is the case, those guys were on to something. Because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from heart and soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised grass-fed and finished cattle heart and soils unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in 
ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. Next up, Royal Sturgeon. A story that has it all. A king, his treasure, an underwater mystery, and a barrel filled with a giant prehistoric fish. A Danish fleet sailed in the name of King Hans in the Baltic Sea some 535 years ago, when a 115-foot-long ship named Gribshunden caught fire and sent sailors and their treasure to the bottom of the sea. King Hans set sail from Copenhagen with his fleet bound for Kalmar, Sweden in 1495 with a pile of fancy stuff meant to impress the Swedes and convince them to join a Scandinavian union with Denmark and Norway. The king made it to Sweden, but his favorite ship did not. It burned. Five centuries passed before archaeologists learned of the wreck of the Gribshunden in Swedish waters in 2000. In 2015, the wreck garnered worldwide attention when the almost perfectly preserved ship's crocodilian-like dog figurehead was brought to the surface. Over the next four years, divers pulled up some pretty cool stuff. Chainmail, crossbows, bones, glass, and capstans. But nothing was near as cool as the barrel found last year revealing a well-preserved Atlantic sturgeon. The fish offers biologists a rare glimpse into what the Baltic Sea looked like before modern human interference. Nowadays, Atlantic sturgeon are classified as critically endangered by the IUCN Red List of Threatened Species, as their numbers have dwindled due to overfishing and habitat loss. Atlantic sturgeon were prized for their eggs, which were valued as high-quality caviar. During the late 1800s, people flocked to the East Coast looking for this caviar. Folks even called it the Black Gold Rush. Close to 7 million pounds of sturgeon were reportedly caught in 1887, but by 1905 the catch declined to only 20,000 pounds, and by 1989 only 400 pounds of sturgeon were recorded. So, was King Hans a caviar guy? Maybe. He might have been carrying the fish for food, or researchers at Lund University believe it could have been a propaganda tool a sign of status heading to the negotiations, and even a possible gift for the Swedish regent and court. Maybe King Hans was just a visual and literal person, saying, hey, Sweden and Denmark, a union that can't be beat. It'll be like shooting fish in a barrel. Just look at my literal fish in a barrel. We may never know these things, but it's fun to guess. Atlantic sturgeon are slow-growing and late-maturing and have been recorded to reach up to 14 feet in length and well beyond 60 years of age. Analysis of skull bones and scoots, the armor plating on these fish, showed that this fish measured about 6.5 feet long. Still, more than 99% of this underwater shipwreck remains unexplored. What else will they find? Doesn't matter, really. It won't be as interesting as this fish in a barrel. Moving on, PETA. The People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals won a battle recently when Costco and other retailers agreed to stop selling coconut milk and other coconut products sourced from certain suppliers from Thailand after PETA uncovered that the growers that were supplying the coconuts were using monkeys on leashes to do the harvesting. We might have our differences with PETA, 
but we're all in full agreement that the suffering of animals is a big deal and definitely not worth it for a dollop of non-dairy creamer or some cooking oil approved by the paleo diet. The monkeys are definitely expert at accessing the coconuts, but if they don't get paid and they don't get to keep the coconuts, that's pretty unfair. Maybe we can look forward to an update to Upton Sinclair's classic expose of working conditions, The Jungle. And this time, the title might make even more sense if, you know, the characters are animals. Before too long, there might be a whole range of animal labor unions. The Dam Builders Local 3038 for the beavers, the 242 Sanitation Union for oysters and mussels filtering water, and even those construction worker corals from the top of the show might have some representation, provided they pay their dues, of course. Solidarity. Jokes aside, show me the economic benefit of housing, feeding, and cleaning up after monkeys over buying a ladder. Moving on, we cover a lot of kinds of pollution here on Cal's Week in Review, but here's a new one for us. Light pollution. As humans build more cities, towns, and suburbs, the light from our buildings goes out in all directions. And as we expand our illumination into habitat, animals have to adjust to the light. But how exactly do they adjust? A recently published study in the journal Ecography tells us an amazing amount about this artificially lit nightlife. Scientists tracked the behavior of pumas and mule deer across the Intermountain West. 117 pumas and 486 mule deer to be exact, all fitted with radio collars. The scientists also scrutinized 1,562 cache site locations, or places where mountain lions successfully hid their deer. Mountain lions will often cache or store their kills in tidy little bundles covered in pine needles or brush. If you live in an urban area infested with deer, and you do, in fact, have mountain lions in your state, do a little getting off the beaten path this winter and poke around. I've found a lot of lion caches within a quarter mile of housing developments. Those cats gotta go where the food is, you know. These scientists, meanwhile, also built a map using satellite imaging of all the human-made light across Nevada, Utah, and parts of California, Oregon, Idaho, Arizona, and New Mexico. This is a particularly interesting zone because it contains both the darkest places in the United States and also a significant number of ever-growing metropolises and countless suburbs. The scientists then followed the collared animals across that map. So, are the pumas and mule deer dancing together to the light of humanity's disco ball? No. But the effects of light pollution are clear. Deer that lived in areas with more artificial light moved away from their traditional crepuscular patterns, meaning that they were more active both during the day and through the night, instead of sticking to more normal morning and evening activity times. Pumas, like most cats, were a little harder to pin down. The cats living in the brightest areas chose the darkest spots they could find to take down their deer, possibly using those places as traps for deer looking to get out of brighter places where they were more exposed. But cats living in the low and medium nightlight areas chose brighter spots for their kills, maybe because deer were drawn to those slightly lighter places to forage. Or perhaps it's that the brightest areas also had the most human activity, while the low and medium nightlight areas had less. Scientists will continue to study how our light changes the patterns of wildlife, 
but we've probably got a while before any mule deer are going to be doing the electric slide on the glowing dance floor, which is improbable, I'll admit, but it is at the same time oddly feasible if you accept the fact that the amount of light we put out right now affects animal behavior. So how will the amount of light we put out in 20 years from now affect animal behavior? If interested, and I encourage you to be, check out darksky.org for a list of ways to make your home, street, town, city a dark sky city. Moving on to the desk that nobody wants to visit, the dentist. No one likes to go to the dentist, but any scientist worth her salt is always on the lookout for a good idea, no matter the source. Dr. Pam Gill, a paleobiologist at the University of Bristol, is just that kind of opportunist. When one of her co-workers turned up at the lab with a gap in his smile and said that the missing tooth was being x-rayed so that his dentist could learn more about his health, Dr. Gill had a flash of insight. Why not x-ray the teeth of the fossilized rodents her lab was studying? And we're not talking any old fossilized rodents here. We're talking 200 million year old morganocodons, possibly the world's first mammals. It turns out that the teeth of these rodents grow in annular rings, like trees. And so by shooting x-rays at these ancient teeth, which are no bigger than the head of a pin, Dr. Gill and her team were able to count those rings and learn the age of these ancestors of today's mice and voles. What they found surprised them. Modern rodents typically don't live longer than two or three years. They have very fast metabolisms, meaning their hearts beat fast, they breathe fast, they move fast. This takes a toll on them and makes for a shorter lifespan. But after looking at the scans of the 200 million year old rodent teeth, there were a shocking number of rings. In some cases, as many as 14, suggesting that these rodents lived for much, much longer than their modern day counterparts. Scientists think that a slower pace of life was responsible for this lifespan. These ancient mammals may have lived more like reptiles, conserving their energy and so managing to stick around for much longer. Sounds like what was good advice for early mammals is good advice for contemporary mammals. Take it easy and avoid the dentist. You'll live longer. Ah! That's all I've got for you this week. Thanks so much for listening, and as per usual, let me know what's happening in your neck of the woods by writing in to A-S-K-C-A-L. That's askcal at themeateater.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you next week. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some access deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I venison.com and use promo code cal for 20 percent off your first order i'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet you 
can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. 